If you are a long time listener to the Happier at Work podcast, you will have heard me speak previously about my signature Happier at Work program. The program has now moved beyond the pilot phase and it's for organisations who want to maintain a really great culture that they already have. They know that their staff are really, really important and they want to retain staff for as long as possible and drive a sense of better engagement at work. Overall, ultimately, what the programme does is create a happier working environment using research-backed methods. What that means is we look at the current state of play, what needs to change, and then we measure the effectiveness of that change during the programme and also when the programme finishes. The programme itself is very practical and it is designed with coaching as well in order to embed the learning into the organisation. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. We've got to look at this again through the 25-year lens that I've been working in business to say, we've seen these technologies come and go. The important thing is for business and, and workers to actually say, where can I use this technology to augment my job? Where can I get more productivity? Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the Happier at Work podcast. I can hardly believe I'm saying those words. Uh, if it sounds like a lot of time and effort that I have put into creating and developing the podcast, then you'd be absolutely right. But it is something I thoroughly enjoy doing. And the people I get to meet and connect with is just amazing. Uh, and it has been. It's been a, a, a fantastic journey the last almost four years that I've been doing the podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. He was actually on episode 50 with me. And so at that time, it felt like a really special occasion to have reached. No, it's a milestone to have reached 50 episodes. He actually appeared on episode 100 as well. So episode 100 was a synopsis of some of the key interviews that I had and people sharing what does being happier at work mean to them or, or what what does it mean to be happier at work, essentially? And so he featured in episode 100 as well. And it seemed fitting. And we had a bit of a kind of a joke about it on LinkedIn uh, that he should also feature in episode 150 and episode 200. So here we are having recorded episode 150 is Bhushan Sethi from PwC. Now, before I share today's episode, I wanted to ask a couple of things. The first one really is getting a better idea of what people want to learn more about in the solo episodes that I put out there. So the solo episodes, I come up with those ideas based on conversations that I have with my clients, based on what I'm seeing out there on social media. If there's anything in particular that's going on in my life that I would like to share about as well. But I would love to know from you, is there anything in particular that you would like to understand more about? Is there anything you feel that hasn't already been covered? I would absolutely love to hear from you about that. Now, in relation to reaching out to me, there are a couple of different ways to do that. I have mentioned before that you can interact directly in the Spotify app. If you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on another platform, then you can head over to my website, happieratwork.ie. All of my social links are there. 
feel free to message me across any one of those social channels. I do post about the podcast every week. I also host LinkedIn live events. I was for a while doing audio events. I've switched back to doing video now because the videos you can watch on replay as well. So feel free to comment and get involved in the conversations. If you have a perspective that you wanted to add, if you have a question that you wanted to ask, then absolutely feel free to get involved in that. As always, at the end of this episode, I'm going to pull out some of the key points. I'm recording this after I've had the conversation, so I know you're absolutely going to enjoy it. Even thinking about all of the insights that Bhushan shared with me, it was almost hard to uh, hard to put everything together, hard to put everything into a synopsis because it's very straight to the point and it's such an insightful episode and I know you're really, really going to enjoy it. Welcome back, Bhushan, to the Happier at Work podcast. Uh, really excited to have you here today. I suppose just to provide a bit of context for listeners, uh, you appeared on the episode number 50 and then episode 100. And now I have you back again for episode 150, which I wasn't sure whether it was a joke when we're having a bit of back and forth on LinkedIn of, you know, would you come for episode 150? So I'm really delighted to have you back as my guest today. Do you want to give people a little bit of a flavor and what's changed since we last caught up? Yeah, absolutely. Great to uh, to be with you, Aoife, um, again. I mean, what's changed? I think the last one we spoke was maybe a couple, a couple of years ago. I mean, what's changed is Businesses are, are are back to kind of focusing on what they can control. Their people are slowly back in the office. We're at fifty percent occupancy here in in New York. Um, it's obviously not. Um, there's there's also a whole set of post pandemic permanent changes. Um, we have permanent changes in how we look at the economy right now. Look at the labor the tight labor markets here in the U.S. and the power is still with some of those specialized workers. Look at the high interest rates and inflation that many are saying are now going to be a permanent feature. And then obviously the workplace, work from home, um, the focus on mental health, the need for leaders to really demonstrate inclusion, the need for businesses to take stances on social issues. Like We've seen a lot of post-pandemic permanent changes, I would say economically, in the broader business landscape and in the workplace. And I look forward to discussing some of these with you today. Yeah, brilliant. Because the last time we spoke up, we spoke, it was, you're right, it was, it was about a couple of years ago and it was the height of the pandemic at that stage. People were probably still working remotely, uh, you know, in a, one of the various lockdowns that we had. So I suppose just to give a bit of context around that, because to me, that seems like almost a lifetime ago that that, that happened. It's nearly hard to believe that, you know, and, and I was having a conversation on another podcast this morning that, you know, when do we mark the end of the pandemic? Is it over or are we still in it? Or, you know, there's all of these kind of questions still floating about. But you're so right that there's a lot of things that have changed that are, are they're never going to be the same again. Once you've given people a taste for, for working from home, for supporting with mental health issues or mental well-being, you know, the there's no kind of going back from that. What would you say are the, the biggest things to come out of that and, and maybe some of the challenges that companies have in, in implementing? Yeah. Um, so, so it is interesting you say that we're not going back because not everyone agrees. Not every okay. leader in corporate America or the oh, globe yeah. agrees <laughs> with kind of like some people do want to go back to five days a week. Yeah. Um, some economists actually believe we're going to go back to 
kind of different lower inflation rates, lower interest rates, et cetera, um, or rising unemployment. And the US unemployment is 50-year record low. Um, but as I think about business, like I think a couple of things, um, the role of leadership as a capability and whether you call it management upskilling, leadership development training um, is so, so important right now. And whether that's how do you lead in a recessionary environment? How do you lead in uncertain times? How do you bring all of the people in your organization together and give people an active voice and be seen and heard? So the whole kind of piece around being inclusive, um, that is so important right now. And many, many firms are continuing to invest in the concept of kind of leadership and management. Um, we have to talk about technology because technology literally saved us through the pandemic with the move to work from home, learn from home if you have children. Um, but now what we're seeing is significant more investments in firms looking to move to the cloud, um, firms needing to shore up their security because cybersecurity is still an issue, whether you're a business trying to protect your customers' assets or um, the government or schools, et cetera. Um, and the other piece is the investments in new skills is something that some firms are investing in. If you think about decarbonization of supply chains and how do we kind of move into green jobs and what are those new skills that people need? How do people better understand climate? How do they understand the impacts on, on their supply chain? How do they understand kind of the disclosures? But also other skills about how we use technology. Um, generative AI, Aoife, is the latest one that everyone's looking at to say, <laughs> you know, can I use, <laughs> yes, can I use something like that? Yeah. Um, is it going to automate away my job if I'm in media or in research? Yeah. Um, and we've got to look at this again through the 25-year lens that I've been working in business to say, we've seen these technologies come and go. The need, the important thing is for business and, and workers to actually say, where can I use this technology to augment my job? Where can I get more productivity to have, you know, augmented intelligence or an assistant like that in the same way that when we move from spreadsheet to more visualization tools, if you want to kind of do data analytics, you kind of you've got to embrace that. So um, technology has been great. Technology is also a big sense of fear. It's a sense of hype. Um, but the, I think it's really important for businesses and, and workers listening in to say, how am I staying relevant around different forms of technology? Um, and how can it not be fearful, but how can it actually augment what I do? And, and am I building jobs for the future? Green jobs were just a, an example. Yeah, yeah, love that. Can we maybe come back to this idea of the five days in the office? I'd love to get your thoughts maybe from a personal perspective, but also what you're seeing out in, in, in the client landscape. Is there... And maybe it's, there's no one size fits all and it really depends on the organization. But are you seeing kind of pushback from employees in, in organizations when when leaders are demanding five days in the office? Yeah, we see lots of active pushback. You see um, activist groups form at tech firms, at some of the financial firms earlier in the pandemic. Um, you see on social media kind of people are calling out their own organization I actually think as, as, a, as an advisor's business, that's quite sad when your employees feel that the only thing they can do is lash out at you on social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, having a transparent call. If you're a bank and you want people in five days a week, or if you're working in a secure industry and you're really worried about access to proprietary data and knowledge, and you insist on people being five days a week, and I have clients who do both, as long as you are deliberate 
different around this is what the expectations are this is the role this is why this is maybe where you might have some discretion in the future or not just people want transparency and then they can make their own decisions yeah. um what too many businesses have done is they've said hybrid but not really defined it yeah. and then you've just got this inequity between um and this divisiveness between some people who live 2000 miles away from the office and never come in and other people who come in every day and pay for their commute and it's it's the them and us piece so firms that have been inconsistent about what does hybrid mean um and trying to embrace too much flexibility but deep down in executive rooms actually saying we want people in the office four days a week that's the tricky piece where they they feel stuck in the middle but um i applaud the businesses who actually say they're five days a week so at least they're transparent and you could be very very clear yeah yeah i love that whole idea of being transparent and setting those really clear expectations from the outset. I've seen complaints that jobs being advertised on LinkedIn, for example, would be uh, advertised as hybrid, but then when it comes to the crunch, actually they want you in the office more than they they kind of want you at home. Um, I mean, I can see the benefits of both. I can see the benefit of bringing people together. I think nothing really beats that face-to-face interaction, especially those kind of incidental water cooler moments for want of a better word, but I can also see the benefit of working from home with the additional time, maybe you have more focused time if you have a separate office or a separate space to do your work. So there are definitely benefits to both. And I love this idea that it's about setting those expectations from the outset and maybe not blindsiding people with, oh yeah, well, we said it was hybrid, we've hired you now and actually you're going to be in the office four days a week and we're calling that hybrid, which technically it is, but maybe the expectations were that you'd be working in the office two days a week or one day a week or something like that. Are you seeing that there's any, uh, you know, based on on, on kind of what I was saying there, that there's benefits to both? Are you seeing that there's any organizations being particularly successful in implementing one or the other, like like maybe a hybrid model or a return to work policy? I think the firms that that do this best have just said hybrid is going to be a way for our future. and they've either set like the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because it works for them. Um, some businesses have, have had their managers apply discretion to say it, it's really it's really up to you. Um, but those firms that are investing in how do you lead in that environment? How do you make everyone feel that they can can communicate? How do you run these hybrid hybrid meetings? Um, what's the schedules? And then also, if you think about performance reviews, how do we make sure that we're not if you've made a commitment to hybrid, that we're not unfairly discriminating against those people who are not in the office as much. And as I, as I think about the two personas that I that I really are concerned about, the first one is young people. I actually believe that young people need to be in the office more than more than not. They need to be there for socialization. They need to be there for um, onboarding. They need to be there for learning and connectivity. Young people are struggling, Aoife. Um, I, I teach a class at, at Stern since we we met, and so kind of exposed to that. Young people need to be around other kindred spirits. Then the other extreme is caregivers. We have a huge caregiving issue here in the US. We don't we don't fund um, maternity or paternity or any kind of dependent care piece as much as say Europe. Um, and the real issue there is caregivers need much more flexibility, yeah. and they've got longer commutes, and so we cannot expect the same thing of a caregiver as a non-caregiver and so businesses that lean into that and especially if we think about the future to say we are going to actually have a different a different approach to what you know for caregivers because 
Mm-hmm. It's best for business and best for society because the US has a demographic issue. Like yeah. we're not, we, we've got more jobs than we've got people in the workforce right now with record low unemployment. So um, a little bit, a little bit off topic, but the demographics and the investments in kind of caregivers um, and encouraging people to actually have families, because we know that that's declined around yeah. much of the developing world, including the US. Um, I see that as an important role that businesses can yeah. lean into. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and I suppose playing devil's advocate here, do you think that would cause a bit of a, a them and us situation in organizations if they're giving specific um, uh, leniency or flexibility to to people who are in caregiving situations? Yes, but this is where businesses could actually show some leadership. If businesses want to be purposeful and they want to be inclusive, what yeah. better way than actually say, we value the caregiver, whether you're taking care of dependent um, family members, whether you're a father or a mother taking care of your, can your kids, especially in those early years. Um, you know, otherwise we, we're, we're going to have less family formation. We're going to have less people kind of, you know, taking care of, um, you know, older people who have kind of worked with dignity and pride in, you know, providing for all of us. So I do think that there is a big role that progressive businesses who can afford to could take the lead on this and deal with the consequences that you described. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really, really interesting, actually, that that perspective. And I think it's, you're so right, it's an opportunity to actually demonstrate leadership in society perspective, you know, showing how you're giving back to the community, how you're supporting that. I'm also interested in how things are are so different in the US than they are from Europe. And does that require change at a governmental level or a state level or or any thoughts around how to drive that type of change in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, um, the the role of the states and the role of um you know cities within those states is is critical so engaging with like the local chamber of commerce and saying you know what's different what what's right for minneapolis may not be right for chicago and so i think that that's going to be there there's some structural challenges um here in the us that you just don't have in europe but we talked about kind of maternity leave there's the you know the at will employment here um, labor markets are much more flexible here. Um, people can, you know, can leave and get other jobs in a much more kind of quicker fashion. So there, there are some there are some changes. There were changes in terms of how both economies dealt with the the unemployment at the start of COVID. Um, the US chose to give stimulus, whereas um, in Europe it was much more people getting, you know, the employers being encouraged to being funded to keep people on payroll. So um, there are some differences, but. This whole topic of the future of work, hybrid, the role of leaders, how we embrace technology in the right way without fear seems to be a global phenomenon. Every client that I work with globally is kind of still challenged with, I want to transform my business. Mm -hmm. I know I need technology. I know that people are so critical, but people need more skills. People need better kind of psychological safety. Um, And we also see a lot of talent hoarding. People are holding on to their talent, even though you read about layoffs in the tech sector and a little bit in financial services, people are still holding on to their talent because we have labor shortages and we have low unemployment. So that that's another interesting phenomenon, um, especially kind of in the US, but I see that also in, in other developed markets like the UK and places like Australia. Yeah, and I'd love to, to dive into that a little bit more. So talent hoarding, essentially, you're holding on to people even though you don't necessarily have the work to give to them. Is that essentially what it is? You may you may have the work, but maybe you're in different times. You would maybe 
cut the bottom 10% by okay. performance. We're yeah. seeing less of that. We're yeah. seeing, we're also seeing interestingly, like less voluntary attrition now. So the great resignation has dwindled a little bit. That was last year's news. We're now yeah. seeing kind of people staying at companies because the grass was not always greener, but we're also seeing firms that can hold on to their people because it's been such a challenge to hire and onboard talent um, over the last 12 to 18 months. Yeah, yeah. So I, so if what I understand correctly is that from both from an organization's perspective and from an individual's perspective, neither are kind of making any great moves to part ways with each other. From an individual, they, the grass wasn't necessarily greener, but they don't want to jump ship just yet. From an organization's perspective, they want to hold on to the talent that they have because they knew how challenging it was to get them in in the first place. Absolutely, by and large. And again, yeah. except those businesses, say in the tech sector, that anticipate a level of demand for their products and services that just hasn't happened. And yeah. um, in the same way that any supply demand equation kind of will will play out, um, they are eliminating headcount. But yeah, um, that tech sector workforce is finding other jobs. Yes, um, yeah. Here in the US, and it's a it's a mobile, it's an experienced workforce, and it's a workforce mm. that by and large, doesn't have to worry about its economic security as much as, say, essential workers. Yeah, yeah, really good point as well. I think there was a lot of talk on social media about the challenges and difficulties of finding more work. But I think if you have something like, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have a big name on your CV or if you have that experience in the tech sector, then I think it, it makes it a little bit easier maybe to find to find a new job. I'd love to come back to this um, this idea of leadership and the skills shortages and what you see as the gaps and the opportunities for leaders or leadership training. Yeah. So we're working with a lot of businesses that are saying we now need to manage in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, some of that is because of the age of the managers. They haven't lived through a high interest rate environment. They haven't lived through economic recession or uncertainty. Um, they haven't had to demonstrate such inclusive leadership skills and say manage in a hybrid workplace. So, mm -hmm. so some of it's generational, some of it's the yeah. situation we're in. By and large, the skills that, that firms are saying that they need more of is the human leadership skills, empathy, collaboration, working with different ecosystems, um, personalizing that leadership approach to people. But also there's some hard skills that leaders need today. One is around redesigning work. Every business out there is looking for efficiencies right now, looking for productivity gains, trying to do more more with less. Because um, if you look at earnings and you look at kind of economic indicators, we are it is softening. Um, and there will be, whether it's a deep recession or a shallow recession, there will be some kind of recession that impacts every business and every bottom line. So businesses are trying to lean into productivity and drive more efficiency. And leaders have to have a skill in redesigning that work, which means process, technology skills, et cetera. And then different leaders are having to demonstrate different technical skills that are relevant for their industry. The energy industry leaders have to really understand different aspects of uh, climate and different aspects of how do I decarbonize my supply chain? Um, in the same way, the tech sector needs to understand um, what are the externalities um, of the emissions that I'm creating through my data centers mm. or the externalities around the products I'm creating if there's going to be disinformation through my social media piece. So 
leadership is is the human skills it's the redesign work skills but increasingly that there's other kind of technical skills some of which are going to be esg related um again esg gets a lot of politicization a lot of divisiveness some people want it to go away but we are seeing increasingly that an area where firms are saying our leaders need to be much more relevant again based on our business model around different aspects of esg yeah and i'm curious because i thought esg was a big thing and it's a it's a really great benefit for organizations and especially for younger generations when when companies are trying to attract talent that they talk about their sustainability initiatives but you're saying that some people are kind of going a little bit against that i'd love to to understand a little bit more behind that yeah some businesses are saying um we've completed the disclosures um that's what we want to that's what we want to do um others if you look at kind of commentators in in the business community and kind of in the media they're they're saying this is a lot this is kind of really really unwieldy we're kind of mixing environment and climate with some of the social issues around good jobs and around uh, diversity etc and some questions around should we be separating that should we be separating kind of the work that businesses do on climate and their emissions and their supply chain from some of the social and employment pieces um and then and some people some people are still climate deniers and and see this as not important or they see it as a much longer term issue and they don't see that businesses should be driving net zero um even though they even though their governments may have agreed to it some businesses privately or publicly are saying you know this is less important to to us we're going to still either fund or invest in fossil fuels you're absolutely right that the younger generation wants to join companies that have purpose and values aligned with their own and their stance on the environment and on climate by and large is something that generation z leans into um but not everyone and um i think what we need to understand as business people is the esg topic can be very polarizing Mm. even the return to office project um, topic can be very polarizing what what leaders need to do is artfully go through the discussion to say how's it relevant to our business to our community Let's be transparent around what we're going to do to commit to that. Um, and then people can make their choices. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a return to office strategy or or a, or a climate strategy, if they're yeah. if they're uncomfortable with the stances that their their own companies are taking. Yeah. So listening to employees, watching out for the key indicators within your own business, and then going back to your earlier point making a leadership decision you know stepping up as a leader and saying i'm taking ownership of this this is what we're doing and you know let the cards fall where they where they may essentially um and i've loved this conversation so far is there anything else that you feel we need to touch on in relation to the future of work that we haven't maybe covered yet uh, the, the one thing i would just just highlight is um we've got a demographic issue in the workplace in many developed um economies we here in the US, we have more job openings than we have people looking for employment. We only have um, a labor force participation rate of 61%. So the more that we can, whether it's through immigration, whether it's through um, kind of, you know, encouraging more people to have children or making the cost of childcare less prohibitive so that people don't have to make choices between having a family and having a job. Um, you know, or if it's if it's other ways to kind of 
you know, whether it's refugees, whether it's immigration, to say, how do we actually identify members of our workforce in the next five, 10, 15 years? To me, that's a real mm -hmm. challenge for business and society. Um, it's not that we don't have enough jobs. It's not that the robots are taking their jobs. It's that we don't have enough skilled workers. And skill doesn't mean PhDs. It could also be trade skills. Um, and if I worry about that, you know, as a US resident, um, I worry about that when I look at other economies that are much more demographically challenged and have aging populations. And I think that's something, again, that businesses and governments are going to have to work on. But we probably don't talk enough about some of those demographic changes that are going to hit many businesses and societies. Yeah, really, really interesting. And, you know, on, on one of my previous podcast episodes, we did talk about not necessarily that as a challenge, but the talent pools that are not currently being tapped into, for example. So if people have been out of the workplace for a long time or people have been living abroad for a time and they're returning to their home country, you know, there's all of these pools of talent um, or, or even retirement age and thinking of things like that, that you reach this stage where it's like a, it's a cliff so you're working full-time and then suddenly you're not working and from a personal perspective maybe you feel like you no longer have a purpose but from an organizational perspective you're losing all of that skill and talent kind of quite suddenly as well so um lots of stuff to to think about there um Bhushan, the question i ask everyone who comes on the podcast what does being happier at work mean to you um fulfilled um, in doing my work and having a close connection to seeing the outcomes of my work. So if I'm working with clients on a big transformation program, actually seeing that through and seeing them execute and actually drive the outcomes that they're looking for, whether they be customer, financial, people, regulatory, quality outcomes. Um, it's, it's just, it's working on meaningful stuff and seeing kind of the outcomes and the results of, of that work. Yeah. Absolutely. And that ties in with, you know, the kind of whole ethos around happier at work. So really, really like that as a as an approach. Anything else that you want to add before we kind of wrap things up for today? No, I've um, congratulations on your podcast. I've listened to a number of them. I, I love being part of this journey that I think you started a number of years ago. So mm -hmm. congratulations to you. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, being podcast 150. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and if people want to reach out, if they want to connect with you, what's the best place that they can do that? Yeah, if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, we can kind of include that in, in the show flow and they can kind of see some of the articles and publications and, and speeches I've given. Happy to connect. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you so much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed that conversation. That was Bhushan Sethi there for episode 150. And I was absolutely privileged to have him as my guest on episode 50. He was also featured in the highlights episode for episode 100. So we're definitely going to connect again and do episodes 200 and 250 together as well. So um, brilliant. Absolutely love that. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation about all of the things that we covered in today's episode. You can do that on YouTube by watching the video on YouTube. You can also get involved in the conversation on social media. You'll find all of the links to my social channels on my website, happieratwork.ie. I usually post on Instagram and LinkedIn, but also on some of the other social channels as well. So I wanted to kind of 
run a bit of a synopsis on some of the key points that we covered. I feel like we covered an awful lot of ground, so many insights to dive into. So uh, they kind of broke down into three broad themes. And this is the idea of the the kind of the five days a week in the office, hybrid working, also leadership as a capability. So how to become a better leader and then the technology piece as well. So starting with this idea of um, uh, the five days in the office, um, we talked about having a transparent culture and setting clear expectations from the outset. So Bhushan said that the companies he see that are performing best in this area are the ones that are actually being upfront about it and saying in advance, this is what the situation is, as opposed to saying one thing and then kind of going back on it or not managing expectations correctly. So I thought that was quite interesting. He also mentioned that hybrid is the future. And so those companies that are focusing on hybrid as a business model for the future are the ones that are going to come out on top in relation to that. We talked about some of the challenges associated with that, especially when it comes to performance reviews and the visibility or lack of visibility that those people who are not consistently in the office may face when it comes to those performance reviews. We also talked about the benefits, so the benefits of having that flexibility for caregivers uh, who need that level of flexibility, but also the challenge when it comes to young people. And I know certainly when I was starting out in work, uh, the workplace or the office environment was where I based a lot of my social life. So for young people, it's the socialization, it's the the onboarding and the getting to know the culture in that environment and the learning as well and the things that you pick up on the implicit things that happen or the implicit ways of doing things that are not necessarily shared in, in a training situation. Now, one of the key insights I took from that was this idea of it's the opportunity to make a decision and to demonstrate leadership. So if you are going to stand up and make those decisions, that is the opportunity to be able to do that. We talked about this idea. Uh, we touched on the idea of psychological safety. It, it's a topic I've covered again and again on the podcast. If you want to listen to any previous episodes around that. But we talked about uh, talent hoarding and the fact that there's less voluntary attrition as well. So people have realised after leaving their organisations during the pandemic that the grass is not necessarily greener. So I thought that was quite interesting as well. We're um, it seems like we're at, you know, almost full capacity from an employment perspective. So uh, good news and bad news and, and opportunities for society as a whole, which I thought was quite interesting around the whole people thing. And how do we get more of those untapped talent pools back into the workforce or how does society as a whole build that or how does how do businesses help governments or, or work together with communities to create those opportunities as well? Now, from a leadership perspective, we talked about having to manage in a different way than has ever been done before. So leading, for example, in uncertain times, leading in a recession, bringing people together. So creating those inclusive environments. We talked about the, the challenges around age and generational gaps as well. We talked about the human skills, so things like empathy, collaboration and personalization. And it's really great to hear those kinds of things coming through because I hear a lot of talk of that, but it's it's great to to kind of really see that in action and see that it's it's coming through. It's not just people talking about it or people saying that we need it. It's really great to, to see that that's happening as well. 
We talked about the idea of redesigning work so that managers need to really focus on productivity gains, uh, looking at different economic indicators, looking at the processes that they have or technology that they can use to make roles more efficient, essentially. And I absolutely love this idea for me. Productivity starts with ruthless prioritization. So being really clear about what's going to what's going to be the biggest win for the business and really focusing on that and communication and setting clear expectations for me is absolutely key in this scenario. The other thing that we talked about was technology and how technology has really allowed us to be able to work from home. And we need to invest in new skills. We talked about the shift towards the cloud. Now, personally, I thought that had already happened, but it sounds like it's kind of trickling to all sorts of organizations now. Everything needs to be in the cloud. We talked about cybersecurity as well and the importance of that. And I'm hearing much, much more about cybersecurity. Certainly as a small business owner, I'm I'm hearing a lot about that and, and various different cyber attacks and how to protect yourself as well. Before we wrapped up, we talked about some of the demographic issues then. So the fact that the, uh, you know, the 61 percent participation in work, it's the lowest level of unemployment, I think he said, in history. Uh, so how do we solve that issue? And, and the jobs are there, but there's not necessarily people for those jobs. So we talked uh, or at least Bouchan shared about immigration, about encouraging people to have more children or putting making it more affordable for people to have children, looking at childcare costs, uh, especially in the US as compared to Europe. But I know from not from personal experience, but from shared experiences that other people have told me about that childcare costs can be prohibitive. So it makes more sense for for one or the other to to stay at home and mind the children rather than sending them out for care. Um, so I thought that was that was quite interesting as well. And on the final note, what Bouchan shared in relation to being happier at work, it's feeling fulfilled and having that meaningful work and knowing the connection to the outcomes and the impact that you're having and the difference that you can make. And that is what the philosophy of happier at work is all about. To me, that touches on the need satisfaction and that need for relatedness. So relating what you're doing on a day to day basis to the overall goal of what the organisation wants to achieve, but relating it to kind of a, a life goal or a life purpose as well. That wraps up episode 150 of the Happier at Work podcast. I can hardly believe I'm saying that since I started with a, a microphone and an idea. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, I would love to hear from you what you enjoyed, uh, anything that you took away from the episode, anything that you might have to add or any specific challenges that you're facing. Do feel free to reach out to me. All of my details are on my website, happieratwork.ie. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.